listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. This passage that we're going to read is about kind of forgetting what's behind and, str- and straining on towards the future to win the prize. And that's kind of the big picture of what we're going to be looking at today, because today we're going to be studying church history, specifically the Middle Ages, and they were kind of stuck in a rut for a thousand years, no big deal. And um, they, they didn't move forward for a long time. So we're going to look at that time period and maybe make some practical applications for our own lives, but just learn about the past in general. And so I, I thought this scripture would be um, something that we could read today for encouragement. So Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, that's, probably, that's like us. Um, he's talking specifically to the Philippians, but he's, he's, uh, I think we could look at this passage and, and take heart from it. So, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. God, we do thank you for who you are and how you work inside of us, how we can look to the future for hope and and for a prize and towards a goal of what you are accomplishing on this earth. Father, we, we, we put our minds and hearts upon you. We ask you for the for the future, for for things to, to go the way you want them to go, for us not to get stuck in the past or in a rut or of any kind, but for us to look forward, to, to see the things that you're doing and to press on to them. So God, we do praise you this morning. We love you. We honor you, Jesus. And everybody screamed, Amen. Sweet. Is anybody like camping in here? Any? Yeah, who doesn't like camping? Like you go out for a weekend and you, you marshmallow stuff and you cook stuff like hot dogs and it's camping is usually like a weekend thing and you just camp for a weekend and then after the weekend you're like dead tired right because you didn't sleep very well because you're dirty and you have to shower up and um but for the weekend it's really cool um and i remember as a kid loving camping here's a picture of me does that come out on the screen can you see me as as a little boy scout there i'm the one on the on the left my brother's on the right and uh, there I am, a weeblo. Anybody know what a weeblo is? It was anybody, anybody a weeblo? It, it means will be loyal scout. So it's the, it's the rank right before you become a boy scout. So that's me. Um, but I grew up camping and my family liked camping. And, and, and as the boy scout, I had all these wonderful memories, still do, of camping and cooking stuff, making a fire, um, just the, I, setting up tents. I mean, who doesn't like camping? You love camping. But I think as soon as you camp for longer than like a weekend, has anybody ever camped for like a whole week? Has anybody ever camped for longer than a week? A few of you have. I think those of you that are raising your hands now that have camped for longer than a week, you probably maybe have this realization that camping isn't maybe as fun as when you just like camp for the weekend. When you camp for a weekend, everything's in order. You have a cooler full of food. You have high energy. And if it's, if it's nasty, raining outside, you just stay in your tent. And it's just one day in your tent. But if you camp for longer than a week, you're bound to run into bad weather. You're bound to be dirty. You're bound just to to be exhausted camping and like in survival mode. And I remember the longest time I ever camped for, um, I lived in a sweet van. Here's a picture of what the van looked like. It's look at that van. Isn't that a sweet van? Ladies, I know you love vans. Um, so that was, that was a van I used to own. 
Uh, it was really sweet. Oh, no, we lost the picture of the van. Hold on. Is it back? Uh, yeah, there it is. Okay, sweet. Um, so we bought this. Me and a couple buddies bought a van. I think I told the story last time because we were talking about Buddhism because we wanted to save up money, me and two other friends, to, to travel Southeast Asia. And, and we saw different things going on uh, um, in Asia. And it wasn't really a mission trip, but we explored. And it was like three months of traveling. But to save up for three months of traveling, we had to make money. And so our, our great idea was to get a van, live in the van, in uh, Vail, Beaver Creek, Colorado, get jobs that paid a little bit more, but to save money, not on rent, but on a van. So we bought a van, lived in the van, and then at the end of the summer, we sold the van for more than we bought it for. It was just a sweet summer. Um, and going into the, the camping and buying the van and then parking the van down by the river to live in the van down by the river, um, which was awesome, um, uh, it actually wasn't awesome, which is kind of the point I'm getting to. But but before we went and 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 did it, we had all these high hopes of like, oh man, this summer is going to be so sweet. We're going to work construction all day. We're going to come back and we're going to camp, and it's going to be awesome. And I brought. I remember bringing like a guitar because like when you're camping, you want a guitar. And I remember bringing uh, like journals to fill and books to read. And I, in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to have so much free time that I could probably take a class. And so here I was. Uh, uh, working on my master's degree, I was like, I'll take a distance learning class where you listen to the CDs on the like the classes on CDs, and you do book assignments and you mail them in. And so I was like, I'll have plenty of time while I'm camping and working full time to to write poetry and to journal and to play my guitar and to take a class. And what I quickly realized after like a weekend of camping, and then like right as a, as a, like a week of like working full time and trying to camp was that camping is exhausting. Like, you just feel dirty all the time. And, like, if you come home from your job and you're dirty, you could take a shower. You could throw a burrito in the microwave, and you could be eating and relaxing on your couch in minutes, right? Like, that's real life. But when you're camping, real life is you come home dirty, and there's really no place to shower. Um, I guess you could jump in the river, but it's freezing cold, so you choose not to. And then if you want something to eat, let's say some mac and cheese, you're like, oh, sweet, let's put the mac and cheese in the microwave. Nope, no microwave. So you have to go get water from the river and wash up your hands somehow. Wash the dishes in the river. Make a fire. Boil some water. Put the mac and cheese in the, in the, in the pot. And then you're like, we don't even have a strength. How is this going to work? It's a mess. It's a disaster. Uh, it's mac and cheese, disgusting soup, and it's horrible. And and if you and it's just camping, like is awesome for like a weekend or maybe a week at the most. But as soon as you camp for longer than that, you realize that like you turn into like survival mode, and you're just like barely anyways so the point of all that we're going to be talking about the middle ages is that the middle ages we get our minds around the middle ages um i have this saying that the middle ages were like a thousand year camping trip and and you might think oh a camping trip how fun and neat and cool no camping for a thousand years stinks like it literally you you stink and everything stinks around you and there's no showers no running water no uh, mac and cheese dinners in the microwave um no computers no power electricity none of these things the middle ages was a bad time it's kind of a downer time um and sometimes we like to romanticize um the Middle Ages, and uh, here's an actual romantic picture of Snow White, and Snow White is, of course, set in the Middle Ages. Or how many of you like Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings freaks raise their hand. Sunday school usually has a lot of, like, weird nerd people. And so, um, which... 
I, I think that's awesome. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but whatever. You all are. Awesome. Um, or, or what about Narnia fans? Any Narnia nerds? Yeah, see, lots of Narnia nerds, too. Um, and, and so those, all those stories are kind of uh, surrounding the time and the, the fairy tales of the Middle Ages. Um, there's movies that kind of romanticize the Middle Ages and make it seem a lot cooler than it probably was, like A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. He's like a poor boy right? And he becomes a prince because he's a knight or something silly. It's like that kind of thing didn't really happen in the Middle Ages because the Middle Ages were like a thousand year camping trip. It wasn't that cool. People were in survival mode. And, and we'll get to talking today that, that it, it was a time that was very backward in a way. And so we'll, we'll get to what we're talking about today and, and talk about the Middle Ages and talk about how it was kind of a thousand years of a slump in, in, in history and specifically for us as we're starting church church history. It was kind of a slump time, not that great of a time. And so that's what we're talking about today. Welcome, by the way, to the Mill Sunday School. If you're here joining us for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I think there's uh, on your tables, there's like a little visitor card. If you want to fill one of these out and bring it to the nice people in the lobby as you leave, you get a CD, a worship CD, which we'd love to give you, of some of the original songs that we recorded at the Mill on a, on a Friday night a long time ago. And the Mill, by the way, is our main meeting, if you don't know that. The, the college and 20-somethings uh, service for our churches on Friday nights. You should come to it. It's more of a service. We do worship and a sermon. Whereas this, the Mill Sunday School, um, if this is your first time here, it's much, much more teachy. We'll do some discussion. Uh, we'll talk about topics like today, church history, which sometimes don't really fit themselves or find themselves into normal church sermons like a Sunday morning. But So this is Sunday School. Welcome to Sunday School. And the final announcement is my friend Patrick. Is Patrick in here? I wanted to embarrass him. Is it, where is he at? Oh, there he is in the back. He's, he's doing some work. He's hanging out. He's, he's back there in the in brown shirt. Uh, it's the same shirt he has on in this picture. Dude, how ironic. Anyways, um, what a perfect day. Um, Patrick is, has been our core leader for like a year, more than a year. He's been serving on the Mill Sunday School team for years and years. And uh, today's his last day. He's, he's leading small groups. He's going to the Mill on Friday nights. He's married. He wants to go to his, the, ch- the church that his wife grew up in. So he's stepping down as core leader. But I just wanted to, in front of all you, thank Patrick for his years of service. So thank you, Patrick. He's, he's served here for a long time, and he's pretty cool, but um, yeah. So let's talk about the Middle Ages. Uh, this this uh, slide here says an overview of the Middle Ages. I had a, a note, usually your notes that we gave you at the door have the, the notes that, uh, the, like the, the outline of what we're going to talk about. Sorry, they don't have it on there today. So the first point, if you want to take notes, the first overarching theme is an overview of the Middle Ages. Um, sorry, the notes aren't on there. Uh, my bad. But um, you could write overview of the Middle Ages. And we could talk about how the Middle Ages uh, began somewhere around 350-ish, and we say ish, and add a question mark, because there's no date for sure um, that the Middle Ages either began or ended. We say that the Middle Ages at some point ended in the 1500s-ish, and it's in the middle of two different things. In fact, that's why it's called the Middle Ages, because if something is in the middle, then it's in between two or more things. And the Middle Ages are in between two things. They're in between the Roman Empire 
and the Renaissance. And so the big, bad, awesome, cool Roman Empire, the big, bad, awesome, cool Renaissance, and in the middle of those two things, the Middle Ages. And so the Middle Ages is not a term of like endearment. It's kind of a slam term for the, the thousand years in between the Roman Empire and the, the Renaissance. And, and so some of you, I, I, I'm not a middle child, but the stereotype of a middle child is, oh, the middle child is in between the oldest and the oldest gets to do everything and, 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 and mom and dad let them do whatever they want uh, and, and go out. And you, the middle child can't do that yet. And the middle child isn't the baby that gets all the attention. He's just in the middle. And so it stinks to be a middle child. Anybody a middle child? Did it stink? I don't know. Whatever. So, um, so the middle ages are in between two really cool things. And it kind of just what's ever in the middle. Not at all like you if you're a middle child. I, I was just saying that might be helpful to understand. Anyways, so the Roman Empire was before the middle ages. The awesome Roman Empire. Here's a map of where the Roman Empire was all over the, the, the um, Mediterranean Sea. There's the emperors. There's this great um, nation and empire that's very stable. And it you know, went from way back in the day, you know, like pre-Rome, the, I guess before it was an empire, uh, there's People's Republic for 400 years. And then at the time of Jesus, somewhere around there became an empire with an emperor and lasted to maybe 400-ish uh, AD. And so we're looking at a very strong, awesome Roman Empire. Lots of history. I mean, I say the Roman Empire, probably lots of awesome things come to mind. And so then, you, and then, we, uh, then we have the Middle Ages, and the Middle Ages ends with the Renaissance. And the Renaissance, here's an awesome uh, piece of architecture where um, the actual word Renaissance means rebirth. And we can think of all the art and the paintings and the technology and the Ninja Turtles, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, like those were actually real guys that were inventors, painters in the, the, in the Renaissance, which was right after the Middle Ages. So to kind of summarize, the Middle Ages are between these two awesome things, the Roman Empire and the Renaissance. And what falls in the middle are the, the Middle Ages. In fact, medieval in, in Latin means uh, Middle Age, medieval, mediev, what is it? Medium avium means Middle Ages. So that's where we get the word mid, uh, medieval ages or Middle Ages, or sometimes it's referred to the Dark Ages, because the time that we're talking about all this month, I believe there's five Sundays, we'll, so we'll be talking about the Middle Ages for, for all five of the Sundays this month um, of May. And it's, it's going to be kind of a depressing talk in, in some ways because there's lots of bad stuff that went down in the Middle Ages. We'll list some of those things in a second. But I don't just want to teach us history for just knowing history's sake. Like I, This isn't like a prep for Jeopardy or something. But we want to, um, in a way, learn about history to learn uh, for, for today and, and apply some things to our life. And so the, the big idea that I thought today as we o- overview the Middle Ages and talk about the Middle Ages are, is about what happens when you're in a slump. Because the Middle Ages, we could argue, was a thousand years when when European uh, church history was in a slump. And so I have a discussion question for us um, to briefly consider that if you can maybe group up or, or just pair up or turn to somebody around you and think about a question that has some sort of application. We're going to talk about the Middle Ages and how it was a slump time, but we're going to talk about it and kind of compare it to ourselves and maybe learn from that. Maybe we'll see where we're going with this. But um, what I want you to do is to maybe recall a time in your 
your life. Recall a time when you were in a slump. And by slump, I mean maybe it was emotional slump in, in life or spiritually or just, kind of, I don't know, a time period that wasn't that good. You came from a great time period and, and potentially uh, you got out of it, out of that slump. What advice could you give someone to help them out of the slump that they were in? Does the question make sense at least? So you could just refer to like, yeah, I, you know, third grade was really hard for me and it was a slump. Or you could, you know... Be more, uh, more, I guess, um, whatever. You say, like, yeah, last year was a slump for me, for whatever reason. And you could think, well, if you got out of that, how did you get out of that? What advice could you give to someone that was going through a slump? Does that question make sense at least? Okay, so turn to some people around you and chit-chat. Ready, get set, go. All right, let's um, come together as a, as a big group here and m- maybe someone at your table or uh, maybe you thought of something that was uh, helpful. Um, I imagine some of you in here are like, yeah, I'm going through a slump right now and, and this stinks. Um, but I, I imagine that some of you have just uh, some things that could be uh, offered as advice or maybe you talked about some other things that, to answer the question, what advice could you give someone that's going through a slump in their life? Um, we have some dudes with some microphones. Um, would you get their attention and maybe share with all of us uh, the genius or just the awesome thing or the cool thing or just the pretty cool thing that you shared at your table as far as advice for people in a slump? Anybody want to start us? Don't make me say Bueller. Because I will. Yeah. Um, We said that to be out of a slump, you kind of have to have something that changes you or change in your life to to come out of it. Um, Erica and I both agreed that missions trips kind of changed us, so that was us. Yeah, really cool. Like an experience or something that uh, a short time where you experienced something and you were open to change and then change happened. Cool. Yeah, thank you. What else? Pretty much going off of what she said where you have to have this experience. For my thing and what I've seen a lot of people do is when they get in the slump, there's something that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing. So usually in my taste, when you're trying to get out of slump, you've got to get in front of that freaking mirror and figure out what you need to change. Rather, it's stop playing the video games and get out there and apply yeah, for a video job. Video games are so fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not spending your money drinking booze all the time and actually using it to pay bills. So, you know, you're ta- changing so it's practically something looking inside in the yourself. mirror. And so something's maybe wrong with you. Like maybe it wasn't the circumstances, but maybe it's something you're doing. Laziness, video games, boozing it up. Um, Those are things that you are actually doing to cause the slump and not just something that happened to you. Sure, yes, thank you for sharing. Anybody else before we close? Yeah, way in the back and then in the middle as well. Whoever gets the mic first wins. Oh, yeah, and just... uh Going off of what he said, um, <laughs> I, I was personally in a slump. Uh-huh. Me and my family were in a slump, but we don't waste our money and all that stuff. And um, trying our, try, just doing the best we can, but it just felt like that past year we're just being ground down. Yeah. And the only thing we could do is just keep seeking out God. Yeah. So you're not boozing it up no. or playing video games uh, 50 <laughs> we're not, hours we're, a week. We're not wasting time. Right. But, but maybe just circumstances or something out of your control caused it. Right. And, and so just staying, what you said, just staying steady 
will eventually get you out of a slump. So the advice to stay steady and keep pressing on. It, it, it doesn't last forever. Yeah. Just know that it won't. The hope. Yeah. Anybody else? I, I saw a couple of hands go up. Um, yeah, he's got one. And then in the way back, did somebody have something? Okay. Thanks for all your great ideas and sharing. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm going to have to say that you have to give everything to God and stop trying to find out how to live your life yourself. Yeah. Because however hard you try, you will fail. You cannot control yourself and make your... However good person you are, you can't control life. But God can because he created everything. Yeah, so the advice being trust in God and, and look to, to him. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think we'll stop there. And the, the, I think the, the thought that I had, the advice that I had, and then as we, of course, are talking about the Middle Ages and the, the, um, the ideas of the Middle Ages, that people in the Middle Ages were caught in a slump. And I could be, by the way, I realize that this may be a general uh, overgeneralization, a, a stereotype that is too large to even fit a thousand years of time. But I think it's helpful as we briefly look at the Middle Ages to know that it was a time of, of history that was definitely a slump. I mean, the very name Middle Ages means that it was in between two things. And the idea of being in a slump sometimes or usually means you came from somewhere that was a high. And so you were on a high uh, of some sort in, in life and, and doing well. And then to, to find yourself in a slump you came from that high and now you're in a low, whether it is a depression or whether it is caused by something or self-caused or whatever. We've all been there in a slump. And I think the piece of advice that I was thinking of and then as I was thinking about the Middle Ages was, was what not to do. And what you don't want to do if you're in a slump is to just look at the past and remember the past in such a way as to want to live in the past. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, I'm, I'm saying it's good to grieve and it's good to look at the past. And if it was a very joyful time to be like, yeah, that was awesome back then. But this idea of living in the past, making a shrine, literally or figuratively, of the past and living in the past so much so that you don't look towards the future, would you say that's good advice or bad advice? That's bad. Yeah, it'd be horrible to tell someone, dude, the best way to get out of a slump is just to get back to where you were and exactly like you were. And, and maybe if you can't get back to there, then just build a shrine of the past and live in the past and think about how great the past was. And, and that is not looking forward. It's not like the verse we read today, looking forward, pressing on to the goal, to the prize, to the future. It's just looking backwards and saying, oh, things were so much awesome in the past. How much I want to get back to the past and have it just to be like that. And maybe it's, it's one of those things that, that just happens, I think, in life that we have this tendency to be like, if, especially if we came some, from somewhere that was better than we are now, to think about the past. And the people of the Middle Ages, um, they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know, the, oh, the, we're going to have this period of time called the Renaissance. They didn't know that. But what they did know is that they came from somewhere, and where they came from was better than they were now. And so here's some ancient, a picture of some ancient artifacts and ruins of ancient, ancient Rome. And you can go to Rome today and, and look at this and walk through the ancient structures and the architecture. But the people in the Middle Ages looked back to Rome and wanted 
the, the, the technology that Rome had, wanted the health, wanted the, the empire, wanted the stability of the government that Rome had, potentially even a thousand years later. And I want you to really get your minds around that idea because it's not something we think about. We don't think, man, if only we could get back to the good old days when technology was better, when, when there was better health, when there was better education. Um, if we could only get back 10 years ago. Man, remember how awesome cell phones and computers were 10 years ago? If only we could get back to that. We'd be like, no, that's dumb. Like, the, the newer iPod is going to come out like tomorrow probably and an even better thing is going to come out next and we look forward to technology and forward to what is better but people in the middle ages knew that they had come from somewhere that was better and so for them they were like man what we're doing now uh we are living and we're just in survival mode and the roman empire this place and this this empire that came before us was so much better they had the technology they had the political power they had better health they had um just everything was just better back in the day. And that's not how we in America think about things, right? None of us are like, yeah, if only we can get back 50 years ago or a thousand years ago. Things were so much better. Maybe, maybe in some ways we would romanticize it and say, you know, oh, maybe, you know, maybe it was better to not have all this technology because, you know, I'm missing out on the walks and the nature and the mountains and stuff like that. We can think about it that way, but we don't look back and say, man, technology was so much better. You know, health was so much better back in the day. We as Americans are all about looking forward and thinking of the future. And so it's this very different mindset in the Middle Ages, and it potentially led to the slump and potentially kept them in the slump. This idea of just making a shrine of the past and, and worshiping the, the Roman Empire and romanticizing how much better it was then than it is now or for the future. And so we have the Middle Ages, and I'm going to list a bunch of things, and they all kind of stink. All of them are just like, man, what a Debbie Downer of a time period. And that's kind of the point. It was. So in the Middle Ages, lots of wars, lots of city-states breaking up and and. and rebellion of each other and you're like warring it'd be like colorado springs versus denver kind of thing very localized wars very much unstable politically compared to where they came from rome this awesome empire a one uh one capital one emperor and he held you know political power and gave political power to the people somewhat and representation somewhat but but this idea that there was stability and th- there wasn't these localized wars like there it was in the Middle Ages. Um, some of the biggest wars that happened in the Middle Ages, anybody know? Crusades, like this in the name of Jesus, in the, with crosses on shields, going down and killing Muslims and people that did not think like the Christians. And, and that's not very cool of a time. It's a kind of a shameful thing. We'll, we'll probably spend a whole... Um, Sunday talking about the Crusades and the history of the Crusades and it's kind of a Debbie Downer time. It's not that great of a thing. Another not cool thing uh, the Black Death does that sound fun to anybody? (laughs) No. (laughs) It kind of sounds like a cool metal band but it's not. It's um, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe there's the I don't know. Anyways the Black Death or the bubonic plague was a plague that killed I want to say like a third of Europeans um, and we'll probably spend um, a Sunday talking about specifically that and some other things in the high Middle Ages or the late Middle Ages that happened, like the Black Death and so much sickness. And when you're camping, um, 
like, because I'm comparing the Middle Ages to a thousand-year camping trip. Like, when you're sick and you're at home, you have chicken noodle soup and a nice soft bed to lay in, and maybe your mommy takes care of you, and it's nice, and you can watch TV all day and just relax. But when you're camping, has anybody been camping and they were sick while they were camping? That just stinks. It's horrible. Like, you're sitting in your tent. You wake up, and it's freezing cold, and there's frost. And then in the afternoon, it's like 150 degrees in your tent, and you're just baking in there, and you're sitting, and you're like, oh, gosh, there's no TV to watch. There's no chicken noodle soup to heat up in the microwave. It's just brutal. And so the Middle Ages, bad time. Middle Ages, like medieval torture stuff, that doesn't sound fun, does it? No, that sounds horrible. And torturing witches and the heresy crusades and torturing people, to t- it's just bad stuff. Education, way down in the Middle Ages. Only the elite, very rich people were educated. Uh, something like less than 10% literacy rate in the Middle Ages in Europe. That's horrible. Today in America, the literacy rate is above 99% of adults can read and write. I mean, and so comparing ourselves to the Middle Ages, like one in, less than 1 in 10 people could read and write, and they were the extreme wealthy and just privileged. Everybody else was poor. Um, when we talk about the church, the church was not doing very good. They're doing kind of, we would look back and say very shameful things. They were selling indulgences. People would pay money for a piece of paper that got them out of purgatory. And so you didn't want to spend time in purgatory. Anybody want to spend some time in purgatory? No, not really. So you could pay some money, and, and they could, the church would give you a piece of paper that would give, be a give out of purgatory free card and it was just like we look back and think about that and we're like my goodness did that really happen did that abuse that spiritual abuse really happen from the church where they were selling salvation did that really happen and unfortunately yes that really did happen and it, it was a bad time and it's a very shameful time in church history we'll talk about that um other things going down in the Middle Ages. Here's a pope. Here's a king, king on the horse, pope with his big crown. Um, a power struggle, a thousand-year power struggle between the church and the kings, between popes and kings, and who actually has the power over the people and the, the backstabbing and going on between church and politics. Not good. And finally, um, the maybe you've seen, maybe in a very simplified form, the feudal system, which is often can, uh, just kind of not given credit for, or it's just often, um, it's not the best analogy because maybe it's very too simplified, but this idea that at the top were the kings and the knights and the, the church leaders and then everybody else, this, this kind of, maybe you've seen it before, this pyramid structure where the power and the wealth is at the top, and then all the people, all the peasants, all the serfs, as they're sometimes called, worked the land, and they probably didn't even own the land. They just lived on it and had to work to pay the king taxes, and it was uh, crazy rates, and there was all these wars going on. And so the people around the castle um, could go into the castle for safety, but they had to pay taxes in a very simplified form. But the bigger idea is that the extreme poverty of, of the huge mass majority of the, of the population and this very small, um, wealthy group at the top and the stratification of poor and and the very the the mass poor and the very few wealth wealthy of the middle ages is just it's it's what happened back then and it started with the fall of rome and so if you're taking notes um this will be a very brief um idea but the rome fell when lots of stuff was going on around the 400s um 
the Rome was maybe too big for its britches, figuratively, of course. Um, it had, had this empire governed by a city-state, and it was all over the, like, almost known world at the time, all over the Mediterranean, and trying to govern this empire. And, and it just didn't work. It was failing. Uh, there was immorality going on and problems within the government. And this fi- kind of this perfect storm happened where people from the north the Goths, the the Vandals, uh, real names of tribes, uh, the Huns, the um, barbarians of the north came to Rome, sacked Rome in the year 410, which kind of is like kind of this date in history that shocked the world because Rome, the capital, was was not just you know just like an act of terrorism, but actually taken over by these barbarians. And so that's the year 410, if you're taking notes um, and writing stuff down. And, and so we just think about that as the shock that happened to the world. And who is going to stand up to the Goths and the, the Vandals? These are real names of tribes in the north. And this fall of the political power. And as, as the political and military power fell, we have the rising of church power, which is the next piece in our notes, the introduction uh, of the papacy. This idea that the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, is bishop over all other bishops. And here's the Pope today, Pope Benedict XVI. And the, the Pope, uh, who is the, the previous Pope, was Pope John Paul II, right? And he's in the news right now because he is on, on his way. He, he's passed away now, but he's uh, on his way to becoming a saint and the, the process of making him a saint. So if you see that in the news, um, maybe this lecture, this, this, we'll just take five minutes or so and talk about how the papacy came to be. Um, and and it, it came to be in the Middle Ages, and it, but it has some history that, that goes back. But, but really, I'm going to argue that it, it's something that evolved in the Middle Ages um, is what I will argue. Um, but I first want to preface it with just, we're going to talk about the Catholic Church. And I kind of was raised Catholic. Here's me as a little baby. Aren't I cute? Uh, yeah, I'm getting baptized there. Uh, infant baptism, that's a priest uh, on the right baptizing me, mom and dad holding me. Um, so I was baptized in the Catholic Church, grew up in the Catholic Church, and I have good memories of the Catholic Church. Some people you talk to are like, oh yeah, the, the Pope is the Antichrist and the Catholic churches are the devil worshipers. I would not agree with that. I would say... There's some nice Catholic people out there. They're not all Satanists, obviously. Um, I would, and I, hopefully you realize I'm joking that, that people would even think that. But um, I, I have a respect for the Catholic Church. I have seen a lot of good come from the Catholic Church. And, and they, I would say that they're Christians. They believe in Christ. But where potentially we would begin to argue with them um, is, is when there's an undue worship of Mary or the mother of Guadalupe. And they, they shrine her and worship her. And, and the, main, the, the main stance of the Catholic Church is to not worship Mary or the mother of Guadalupe or whoever that is in Mexico. But, but that, that happens a lot, and we would as Protestants be very iffy and weary of that. But anyways, the bigger point that I just wanted to say was that I have a respect for the Catholic Church, and um, I, I don't want to demonize the Catholic Church. So anyways, um, going back to Rome, here is a picture of Attila the Hun. Not to be confused with Jabba the Hutt. Um, but this guy is a real guy in history. At least the picture of him is of a real guy in history. Uh, Attila the Hun. The Huns were a G- Germanic uh, northern European tribe that ransacked all of Europe, making their way 
to Rome around 452. The Attila the Hun, a real guy, and his army of Huns is standing outside of Rome, about to lay siege to Rome, to lay waste to Rome again. I mean, we already talked about what happened in 410. Rome was kind of taken over, then Rome kind of got back on its feet, and then here's another tribe ready to take over Rome and d- demolish Rome. And what uh, happens is is quite cool. The story is maybe even legendary that the Pope at the time, and I, I use the word, I should say just the Bishop of Rome at the time was a guy named Leo. And here's Raphael's famous painting of uh, the Bishop of Rome, Leo. He's on the horse on the far left going to meet Attila the Hun and to ask him nicely to to not attack Rome. And the, his, the, the story, the legend at least, is that angels uh, of Paul and Peter, those are the angels at the top of this picture um, being represented in this piece of art by Raphael, um, come with uh, the Bishop of Rome, uh, Leo, and Attila and the Huns get very scared, and so they agree not to attack Rome, which makes Leo um, a pretty cool hero of the day, don't you think? I mean, here, if you imagine you're in Rome and you look outside over the wall or whatever and you see a bunch of people about to attack. And so Leo, this religious leader, the bishop of the city, goes out, talks to the guys that are going to destroy Rome, and they don't end up destroying Rome. He'd be your hero, right? Yeah, of course. And so that's kind of what happens with Leo the Great, Leo the First. Um, that's his story, which brings a lot of just people respecting the Bishop of Rome in a whole new way. And there's this, all this talk about how the Bishop of Rome should be the bishop over all other bishops because people in the Middle Ages um, kind of romanticized Rome. And so whoever the leaders in Rome were would be romanticized as well. And so if you're a leader of Rome and you have this tradition of being a Roman leader, then, then, we, then you are the awesome, new, cool thing in town. And so what began to happen, and I will argue uh, maybe against the Catholic Church's way of seeing the papacy because um, I, I would see it as, as something that evolved and not something that came from Peter, but we'll talk about that in a second, is that the papacy began to evolve in political power and to what it is today, that the, the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, is the bishop over all other bishops of the world. And, but the Catholic Church kind of sees it a little differently. They see it as um, this, this famous passage in the Bible um, here's a picture of it. Um, if you can see it, I don't know how, uh, how well you can actually see this painting. Uh, once again, it's a painting by Raphael, one of the Ninja Turtles, of course. Um, just kidding, the, the real guy in the Renaissance that lived. But he paints this picture of Jesus on the left in the middle, uh, giving something to a guy who's kneeling that happens to be Peter. Can you see what he's giving to him? Some keys, yes, which comes from this passage. Uh, Read the Matthew passage. Matthew 16 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But uh, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, "Uh, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus replies, Yes, you are. Uh, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my, 
by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock you will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys. And so that's the painting there that we saw. Give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so I just read that whole passage there. Maybe I, I kind of lost you. But this bigger idea of Jesus handing Peter the keys, and I don't think he literally handed Peter keys here. He's talking spiritually as an analogy, obviously. But the Catholic Church interprets it maybe differently than we would. Um, and so the, just the question, how should we interpret this? <clears throat> well, we as Protestants would say, oh, it's a spiritual analogy. Peter is saying, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, yes, on this rock, uh, I will establish my church. And I give you, Peter, the keys um, and, and Peter did become the leader after Jesus died, rose again, and then ascended in, into heaven. Peter did step up and, and was the leader of the church. And Jesus is maybe giving him that authority. But the Catholic Church says that, yes, Jesus, or Jesus gave Peter the authority. And then they could actually, and, and some of it's kind of based on legend, potentially, th- this idea that Peter went to Rome and every bishop of Rome since Peter like handed on the figurative uh, spiritual keys from Peter to you know the Pope that we have today, uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, comes in this heritage, this lineage of being bishops of Rome, like Peter was, and so and the, even in the history, there's legends about whether Peter actually went to Rome or not. But this evolution in the Middle Ages that that the Pope has all this authority because he has the keys, because Jesus gave the keys to Peter, and then Peter gave the keys to the next guy, the bishop leader of Rome, and then that guy gave the keys to the next guy, and then we could, they potentially, the Catholic Church traces and has all the popes of Rome lined up from Peter to the Pope who is today, uh, St. Uh, Pope Benedict the, the 16th. And so potentially keys were handed on, either literally or spiritually, through the ages to the popes. And so today, that's what we think of when we think of the Pope. We think, oh, the Bishop of Rome, the Bishop over all bishops, the leader of of the Catholic Church, and that's that. But I think I would argue that that really happened during the Middle Ages. That was a looking back and kind of filling in the history rather than Peter actually being in Rome and handing on the authority to the next person. It was more of a history that was placed back onto Peter and that passage. Then, so it evolved in the Middle Ages. Does that make sense? It's, it's kind of a hard thing to get our mind around that the history and the evolution of the papacy was kind of based upon looking back at um, <clears throat> histor- historical or legendary events and filling in the blanks. Um, but that's really what I would argue is what happened and where the papacy is today. Which brings us to this random little weird story that we'll conclude with. And it's called the Donation of Constantine. And I'm going to throw a lot of names at you and a lot of weird history. And it might be a little hard to follow, but hopefully we'll get the big point of this thing um, that really, I think, in some way sums up what happened in the Middle Ages. And so if you're taking notes, it's called the Donation of Constantine. It, it happened around the 700s AD, so right smack 
dab in the middle of the Middle Ages um, when people were really beginning to question, okay, should the Bishop of Rome be the bishop over all other bishops? Like, what about the bishop in Jerusalem? Isn't Jerusalem a pretty cool city? Shouldn't that bishop have maybe more authority than the Bishop of Rome? Or what about the bishop in Constantinople, which was actually, um, as Rome fell, the Roman Empire fell, that was actually the capital of the Roman Empire. I mean, maybe that uh, bishop should be bishop over all other bishops. And then it, the question's about, well, who has more authority? The, a pope or a king? And, and, and as, as different uh, things happened in Europe and political power moved, there was kind of a king that came to, to be known as the, the king of the Holy Roman Empire in what was Europe at the time, and maybe we'll talk about this next time, that the Holy Roman Empire of the Middle Ages was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. But anyways, um, who has more power, a king or a pope? Um, and who has, does the pope have the ability to crown a king? Because then the, the, the authority would come from the pope. And so we have all these questions stirring about, and a piece of paper is found. And this piece of paper is called the Donation of Constantine, which is this interesting little story. So um, try to follow. There's, there's going to be lots of little details here. But basically, the piece of paper said that way back in the day, Constantine, like Constantine Constantine, the Constantine the Great, who lived in around the 300s AD. Supposedly, he got sick. He got leprosy, which may or may not have actually happened. We don't know for sure. But there Constantine is on the right. Um, he has leprosy, and the Bishop of Rome at the time, uh, the uh, uh, Bishop of Rome, Sylvester, prayed over Constantine and anointed Constantine with oil, and the leprosy left Constantine. That's the story. And so we have this piece of paper, once again, that says this story is happening. So, back to the story. Constantine uh, gets prayed for by the Bishop of Rome at the time. So this is like 300, in the year 300, uh, hundreds of years ago from when this piece of paper was found that says this story went down. And in this story, Constantine said, you, Bishop of Rome, Sylvester, I am going to give you um, authority to crown kings. I'm going to make you bishop over all other bishops. So there is, shouldn't be any contention over who is the bishop over all other bishop leaders. You are. Um, and you get the papal lands, uh, the Vatican, what is today. You get um, the ability to crown kings. I give you the authority, uh, more authority than any emperor. And isn't this great? And so we have this piece of paper in the Middle Ages that says all this went down. Now, if a someone showed you a piece of paper like this, what would you think? You'd be like, where'd you get that piece of paper? Where did you find it? Because it hasn't been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it turns out, of course, that it was a huge forgery. But people in the Middle Ages believed it. They were like, oh, a piece of paper said that a long time ago, Constantine gave papal authority to the Pope, and the Bishop of Rome is the Bishop of all, all, of all other bishops? Of course, sure, he's got the piece of paper. You want to go see it? Yeah, it's right here. Oh, sweet, there it is. Of course, duh. Um, and no one really questioned it. People didn't even question it until the Renaissance and realized that the Latin that the paper was written in was in, at the time, modern Latin, when it should have been written in ancient Latin. And it's like just an obvious, like, Duh, this piece of paper couldn't be this old. It doesn't even look old. It looked like you just wrote on it today. But no one thought about that. 
And, and so this idea that the Middle Ages, no one was questioning things. No one was thinking. Everyone was camping in survival mode. And if someone hands you a piece of paper when you're camping, you just believe it. It's just like, hey, this says this. You're like, okay, I don't have a computer. I can't check it. Uh, and so I don't even know, maybe you don't have cell coverage. So you're just like, okay, this piece of paper says this. I guess I believe it because I'm camping. And you, don't, you just don't think when you're camping. You're in survival mode. You're suffering. You're trying to avoid getting sick and you're trying to wash your hands and going to the bathroom outside. It's just gross. There's no showers. There's no microwaves. And so you're just, you just believe whatever people tell you. And that's exactly what happened in the Middle Ages. And this, this donation of Constantine is just kind of this story, this piece of the story that's like, that's the bigger picture of what was going on in the Middle Ages. That the people were in a slump. They were caught in a slump. They were looking back in history saying, oh, if only we could get to the Roman Empire, how great things were way back in the day. And so if someone gives you a piece of paper saying, this is from the Roman Empire, you're just like, oh, sweet, of course it is. I believe it. It's true. We love the Roman Empire. We want to get back there. They were living in the past. They were making shrines of the past. And in the Middle Ages, like in the year 700, in the year 800, to call yourselves um, the Holy Roman Empire is just dumb because they weren't Romans. They were like Germans calling themselves part of the Holy Roman Empire. Like they were just romanticizing the past and living in the slump uh, and camping in the Middle Ages. And it wasn't that great of a time. It's called the Middle Ages for a reason. And so in conclusion, I want to, as this lesson has kind of been a Debbie Downer about all the bad things that happened in church history in the Middle Ages, um, leave us with this idea that we can learn from it and look on to to the future and to the goal. And so let's close with reading Philippians 3 that says, um, Paul is saying, I haven't already obtained all this, nor have I arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, this is the advice, um, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. So thank you for coming to the Mill Sunday School. We'll see you next week as we continue our talk on the Middle Ages. Peace out.